Welcome once again to the Nothing But Grace podcast. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy, pastor of First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. You can find out more about this church, this wonderful group of people who are not really an organization as much as they are a family of believers who have joined together, a diverse family like most families are, who have a common interest, a common belief, a common foundational commitment to following Jesus. I believe it's the laboratory where things change, and so I'd like to invite you to be part of our family. Uh, You can find out more about our church by going to our website, which is easy to remember, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. And there you go, and you'll find our website, which is still a work in progress. It's not entirely finished, but there's a lot of information on there. You can find out where we're located, how to contact us, what we do, what we believe, who's on staff, and you could even contribute if you'd like to. We welcome you to do that. That's an easy way to give these days. Other ways to give are by mailing money in to P.O. Box 209, Madison, North Carolina. It will reach us that way. You could come in person, and we have an offering box now. We used to, at one time, pass an offering plate in a somewhat traditional and familiar manner. But ever since COVID came along, we have gone to putting in an offering box, and it seems to be working rather well. Uh, But we do welcome your contributions, if you would feel so moved to make them. I would also like you to know that we love you, and you matter to us, and your uh, contributions are just what you and God decide to do. But what most matters to us is who you are. And you are treated with value and respect in our family. So contact me. You can do so easily by writing me at cpmcgathy at yahoo.com. That's cpmcgathy at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know you're a listener, and I'll be happy, so happy to hear from you. Well, today's podcast is... uh, For the first Sunday in Lent, and the traditional passage has to do with the temptations of Jesus. This one has uh, its base found in Luke 4, 1 through 13, and during our regular worship service, I will have Jan read that passage, but I'm going to actually preach from the gospel according to Matthew, where this is also recorded. It has a little uh, bit more information than Luke's does, and so I think it's helpful for understanding the temptations that Jesus went through, why those particular temptations, and why there's no new temptation. The things he was tempted with, we too are tempted with, although our responses can be certainly informed by how he responded. So I'd like to share that with you uh, this morning, uh, and uh, or I guess it's morning. It might be evening as you're listening to this. That's the beauty of podcasting. I, 
I know. So anyway, glad you've joined with us. Please tell others about this podcast. Uh, there is no uh, limitations to who can listen. Someone may go to another church and just from time to time like to hear a different voice. and Mine is certainly that. So I welcome any and all. Well, I'm talking about the temptations. The first thing that went through many minds was the wonderful music of The Temptations, and that, of course, makes me smile. I am, however, referring to The Temptations of Jesus. These are, however, not the temptations of Jesus alone, but they're universal and timeless. We are all subjected to the same essential temptations, and if we will learn from Jesus, we will see the way to overcome them. Quite often in my life, I have been asked by those just getting to know me, are you religious? I'm never quite sure how to answer that. Most often I simply say yes, because I sense that all the inquirer really wants to know is whether I attend church or not. But is that the same thing as being religious? I'm not sure. And to be entirely honest, I've never really felt like a religious person. I am at heart just a normal person who does things others classify as religion. And what is more, it isn't my goal to make anyone religious, or more religious, if you will. It is more my hope that I can help connect people to someone whom the genuinely religious folk of his day classified as irreligious. Jesus was constantly in trouble with the religious people around him. It seemed that the more religious they were, the less they liked Jesus. To them, he was just another sinner, a man subject to temptation. Many Christians are uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus was tempted. That is an amazing thing. It is a startling realization because so much of the richness and texture of our Christian faith is directly connected to the fact that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. Moreover, the scriptures actually confirm that Jesus was in every respect tempted as we are. Nevertheless, if you say or even suggest publicly that Jesus was powerfully tempted to do evil, then you will quite possibly find yourself the subject of religious protest or even ostracism. The Bible, however, affirms the fact that Jesus was tempted and even details the way he was tempted. Today's gospel reading is about a very intense episode of temptation. In this passage, we gain understanding into how his victory over temptation gives us the victory as well. Let's read it in Matthew 4 because Matthew includes a fuller explanation of the temptations. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, 
command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. The word religion deserves a closer look. Like so many common words we use today, it is easy to assume we understand its meaning when in fact we may not. Religion is a word we might use in a variety of ways, and the word religion has a wide range of applications. Yet in its original form, it was derived from the Latin regulare, a word which means to restrain, confine, to hold back. Today, Religion has come to mean an organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, and rules used to worship a god or a group of gods. Now, although this word religious is commonly used to refer to us as followers of Jesus Christ, I'd like to suggest that at its core the word is wholly inadequate to describe the faith relationship we experience with God through Jesus Christ. You see... Religion is what we do, or refrain from doing, to connect us with God. On the other hand, our faith is built on what God has done. Jesus has come to us. Through his relentless grace, he has provided a way for us to know God, a way that all of the religious acts of a lifetime could never accomplish. Therefore, the faith we have is not a result of our religiosity, but due to the love of God alone. We cannot save ourselves, but Christ in his mercy has. We may respond to grace, but we cannot connect with God through our religious efforts, no matter how devout. No matter how sincere, no matter how hard we work at it, religion can't save us. This contrast between religion and grace is profoundly evident in the temptations of Jesus. In them we see the subtlety of sin that lures us to accept second best and miss the kingdom of God. Let's look more closely at these three temptations and see how and why our Lord resisted them. We may discover that there really is no new temptation, just the same old, same old. The first may seem like a strange sort of temptation. 
Jesus had gone without food for 40 days. Who can blame him for being hungry? Who would refuse to make bread if it was within their power to do so? But for Jesus to miraculously produce food would contravene the will of God. His hunger was serving a purpose. And of one of the interesting aspects of religion is that it is full of human activity, always doing, always performing. Religion says, do something. But God says, rely on me. And that is where religion fails. You see, ultimately, religion cannot meet human need because our deepest needs are more than physical. They are spiritual. That is why Jesus rejected the offer of easy food by telling the tempter, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let me ask you, what are you starving for today? What brought you to church the last time you came? What will bring you to the next podcast? What will truly satisfy your soul? Too often, we are tempted to settle for less. Oh, if I only had a new car or a new house, if I only had better health or if my loved ones were well, on and on, we ask for things that will satisfy the emptiness in our souls. But only God can do that. The good news is he wants to do that and will do that if we will seek him. And sometimes that may mean that our physical needs may take a back seat to our spiritual needs. But what religion cannot satisfy, God can. Our response is to trust in him in spite of our hunger. We must believe God will provide and our deepest need is to hear God. Compared to that, all other needs pale in comparison. Jesus knew that. Do you? The temptation to settle for less than God was the first temptation. The second is recorded in these words. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. That is how the second of the recorded temptations begins. The temple was built on a high promontory of land. At one corner, the height of the structure combined with a drop to the valley floor below equaled the height of an 18-story building. This was called the pinnacle of the temple. It would have been certain death to leap from this spot. It would have also been very dramatic. One could not commit such a suicide without a great deal of notice. And therein is the key to understanding what this temptation was really all about. It was no accident here that this proposal by the devil involved the temple. The temple was the center of religious life. It was to the temple that the people journeyed to connect with God. But something had gone wrong. The hundreds of thousands of religious acts performed on its altars were meant to point to a coming redemption, yet they had taken on a life, a self-importance of their own. The symbol became the substance. Religion had 
perfected the ritual to such a degree that any derivation from its exacting requirements would be considered as displeasing God. And the religious leadership made a fortune by extracting the necessary money to ensure everything was done perfectly. Once again, religion was about what man did to find God, but in reality it was a barrier. Seldom were hearts changed. It became a rote act to appease an angry, distant, and intolerant divinity. Oh, how this must have saddened Jesus. How he longed to free people from a religious bondage that only perpetuated the separation between God and humans. Yet how frustrating. It must have seemed so overwhelming. It must have seemed as if nobody would listen. It, must, it wasn't just a matter of convincing godless people to seek God. Jesus had to convince the ones who thought they had exclusive rights to God that they, in fact, did not. Can you understand that Jesus might have been tempted by despair? I would be. It is a special and dire form of depression to try and do God's work and find that the very ones who ought to support you are the first to throw stones. Jesus saw that coming, and I believe he was in pain because of it. And that helps explain the reason for this temptation. But then there is something more, the thought of suicide. Psychologists tell us that most people do not really want to kill themselves. What they really want is release from pain. That desire for release leads to suicide ideations that are really cries for attention and help. If help does not come in the nick of time, then those left to survive are left to ponder and question their own guilt. This is often on the mind of a depressed person who attempts a life-ending act. Now, I believe this was the temptation Jesus faced. He was tempted to fall into despair. Satan placed in his mind the idea that he could gain the attention of God and of his creation if he flung himself off the central religious symbol of the Jewish people. Jesus knew his heavenly father would rescue him. He could force his hand. He knew the people would wonder about their own lives too. They might question if their sin drove him to such a desperate act. But had he dramatically attempted suicide, Jesus could never complete God's will through his life. God's will for him demanded that he hang in there, that he suffer. Jesus' suffering was for our redemption, and through it God triumphed over sin and death. To go against God's plan, to short-circuit his purposes, was sin. It was easy, but it was also evil, and so Jesus would not do it. He refused to allow despair to master him. What depresses you? What makes you just want to give up? What makes you want to say, they're going to be sorry when I'm gone? Let the same answer Jesus gave be your answer as well. I will not put God to a foolish test. By saying that, you demonstrate that even though you are suffering, you trust that God has a purpose in it, a redemptive holy purpose. Give God charge of your life. Take up your cross to follow him and see how your perspective changes. Before we get to the last temptation, the last temptation that is nothing new. Let's take a moment and review. 
The first temptation Jesus is faced with is the failure of religion to meet human need. Try as it may, religion cannot fill the empty space of the soul. Only a genuine relationship with God can do that. In the second temptation, Jesus encounters the failure of religion to bring people to God. No man-made system can really bring us to God. All of the religious buildings we construct and all the worshipful acts we attempt cannot connect us to the Heavenly Father. Only an act of grace can do that. And real grace involves the suffering which Jesus, in our behalf, would not turn away from. The final temptation takes Jesus to a very high mountain. Could it be that this is the same mountain that Jesus would one day climb along with three of his friends? Could it be the same peak where he would be transfigured and a voice from the cloud would command, listen to him? The implication of this is strong because the expression high mountain is only used in the Gospels to refer to the Mount of Transfiguration and to the very mountain that Jesus is tempted upon. Is that significant? It might be. Both experiences have to do with worship. In the final, the devil proposes to Jesus that if he will fall down and worship him, that he will give him the whole world. On that high peak, it would have seemed as if the whole world could be seen, not just the Jewish world, but the Roman, Greek, Egyptian, and every empire, past and present. Jesus could imagine the entire world in every age. And all he has to do to convince the world to worship him was to fall down before the evil one. What a strange temptation. Strange, that is, until we understand the comparison. Later, Jesus would ascend a very high mountain. Only this time, just three will be with him. There are only three relatively unimpressive disciples, not the whole world. They are not forced into a religious act. They are simply told, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's the trade-off. The devil offers a shortcut. It's a shortcut that gets the whole world to respond, but the message is compromised. On the other hand, there is no shortcut with Jesus. He responds, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The devil could ensure the entire world got religion, but Jesus wants human hearts who will one by one Listen to him. He will settle for nothing less than a soul offered freely to him. Aren't we too faced with a similar temptation to sell out? Don't we know that there are easier ways to get what we want, whether it be money, power, or influence? Don't we want a church full of people? We know we can do it if only we will change the message a bit. The devil argues, don't tell them the truth. Don't tell them that following Jesus may leave you physically hungry. Don't tell them they won't prosper. Don't tell them they might suffer some or be unpopular. No, change it up a bit. Tell them they will have health and wealth and lots of approval for following Christ. Tell them they can have the whole world that will make the church popular, that will keep the pews full and the money coming in. That's what people want to hear after all. Or we can just tell the truth. 
when through our own religious efforts we fail to satisfy spiritual hunger, to bring people to God, to inspire true worship, we must come to accept the inadequacy of religion. The truth is that Jesus has come. He has come to feed our souls, to draw all people to himself in true worship. Ultimately, religion and religious efforts all fail. But God has triumphed through Jesus. Jesus has triumphed over temptation, and through him, grace has been set loose upon this world. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, help us to tell the difference between being religious and being your followers. Let our lives be about listening to your voice and following you. Teach us through example that we can and must resist the devil with all of his temptations. And when we fall, pick us up and bring us back to you to try again. Thank you, Jesus, for your everlasting grace. Amen. Before I conclude this podcast today, I want to send to you a personal invitation. There will be no podcast this next week, the second week of Lent. Instead, we are going to be doing a historic service in our church. So you can tune in on the internet radio or through Facebook. You can find all of these links through our church website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. We are going to have an ordination service. One of our members in watch care status who lives actually in Seattle is going to be ordained. Last Sunday, our church voted as a church to approve the, the recommendation of an ordination council. And so next Sunday, Katie Garcia will be ordained into the gospel ministry. And it's historic because Katie is now the second woman ordained by our church into the gospel ministry. And this is very significant because we believe that God can call anybody to do the work of preaching the gospel. She does a special kind of work. She is a chaplain in a hospital in Seattle. And so we want to recognize that God has called her and that we stand behind her as a family of faith and support her. So I invite you to change your habit just a bit next week. Tune in to the broadcast live at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time through the radio or find us recorded or live on Facebook or or a, a internet streaming radio app. Look up Rockingham County Radio and you will find us at 11 o'clock streaming live. Well, thank you again for tuning in. We love you. You're part of the family.